0: Live from the Polymarket Studio in LA. It's the Young Turks.
1: Sign up to The Economist for in-depth, curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China. And full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Woo! It's a... Ice cream.
2: What's up everyone welcome to TYT I'm your host Anna Kasparian and I am sad to report today that we don't have a lot of light news stories in the rundown today. It is a heavy news day, we have been off on holiday vacation to celebrate the holidays. But during that time, a lot of news broke, a lot of heavy. Depressing news broke that I think is important to fill you all in on. But I promise it will be a good show. It will be an informative show. And later on in the first hour, Jen Uger will be joining us to give us updates on his presidential campaign. As you all know, he's running in the Democratic primary. It is a long shot campaign, but nonetheless, his objectives with this campaign are important, including fighting for the ability of naturalized citizens to run for president in the United States, so they're no longer treated as second class citizens. So we'll get to that later in the second segment of this hour. But we begin with updates on the war on Gaza because the situation on the ground has not improved at all over the last several days. In fact, Israel is intensifying its military operations despite calls for more targeted military operations in the strip. So I want to give you updates on that and more. Let's get started.
0: In Gaza itself, hospitals are overrun with the injured and the dead. The World Health Organization says almost all the hospitals in the Gaza Strip have now stopped functioning. There's blood everywhere in these hospitals at the moment. We're seeing almost only trauma cases come through the door and at a scale that's quite difficult to believe. Um, it, it's, it's a bloodbath, as we, as we said before, it's carnage.
2: After raiding and bombing refugee camps in northern Gaza, the Israeli Defense Forces have now moved on to doing the same in central Gaza. And let's not Pretend as though they're not also engaging in aerial bombardments in the south where they had previously told Palestinians to evacuate too for safety. Now Israel's offensive is one of the most devastating military campaigns in recent history. More than 20,900 Palestinians, two thirds women and children have been killed and that's according to the health ministry in Gaza. That is actually, despite what Israel will say, a very conservative estimate of the number of people who have perished in the Gaza Strip. It does not include the number of Palestinians who remain trapped under the rubble, following aerial bombardments of the Gaza Strip, following aerial bombardments of residential buildings, of refugee camps, of hospitals, and more. Let me give you the rest of that graphic where the UN Human Rights Office said the continued bombardment of of Middle Gaza had claimed more than 100 Palestinian lives since Christmas Eve. Now that number is very likely to have risen since the report came out by the Associated Press. But things have gotten worse for Palestinians struggling to stay alive. In fact, the Associated Press reports that residents in central Gaza described intense and lethal artillery shelling and airstrikes in refugee camps, including Nusrat, Maghazi, and Burej camps. Now, let's take a look at the next video, which will give you some more information about the attacks on these refugee camps and the number of civilians who have perished as a result.
1: At the Burij camp in central Gaza, these families are on the move again, heeding Israeli warnings to evacuate. But safety in Gaza is hard to find. Riyad Abdul Salam said even evacuating is dangerous.
0: They threw leaflets at us and told us to get out with our hands above our heads. They shot F-16 bullets and rounds of gunfire around us. We have been forced out.
1: The continued Israeli strikes hit even so-called safe zones. Mariam Al-Amsi has lived through decades of conflict. 75 years of suffering, our rights taken, our country seized, and our people slaughtered.
0: And as fighting in Gaza rages on, the death toll keeps rising. Mainly women and children, some so little and so stunned, they don't cry out in pain. Across Gaza, there's no shortage of pain. This boy cries out for a loved one (laughs) and gives a final kiss goodbye.
2: Uh, The footage toward the end of that video absolutely broke me this morning. I don't know how anyone can see these scenes and think, no, 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 this is totally justified, this is totally okay. And no place in the Gaza Strip is safe. As you heard in that video, they're also doing aerial bombardments of the south. And Israel has taken complete responsibility for that with absolutely no remorse. In an area Israel had declared a safe zone, a strike hit a home in Mawasi, a rural area in the southern province of Khan Yunus. One woman was killed and at least eight were wounded, according to a cameraman working for the Associated Press at the nearby hospital. In response, Israel's military said that it wouldn't refrain from operating in safe zones if it identifies terrorist organization activity threatening the security of Israel. And according to Israel's far right government, Everyone in the Gaza Strip, every single Palestinian has been radicalized. So in their eyes, every single person living in the Gaza Strip is a a, a target, is a threat to Israel's safety. And you're gonna hear from spokespeople from Netanyahu's government making that claim in just a moment. Now, many of the Palestinians being told to evacuate had already evacuated from the north to the south. Hoping for safety, and that is not what they got. The Israeli military ordered residents to evacuate a belt of territory the width of central Gaza, urging them to move to nearby Deir al-Bala. The UN humanitarian office said the area ordered evacuated was home to nearly 90,000 people before the war, and now shelters more than 61,000 displaced people, mostly from the north. But again, as we know, even they're not safe, even though They went to this area for safety. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu also continues to humiliate the American government. As the Biden administration continues to claim that they are urging Netanyahu's government and the IDF to do something to minimize the number of civilian casualties and engage in more strategic and targeted strikes against Hamas. And the AP notes that Netanyahu continues to mock the United States on the international stage, essentially embarrassing our government, embarrassing the American people. Netanyahu said the military was deepening the fighting. The Washington Post reported similar statements from Netanyahu. The war isn't close to finished, Netanyahu said during a visit to Gaza Monday. We are expanding the fight in the coming days, he said in comments released by his Likud party. This will be a long battle. This coming from a prime minister who back in 2015 said, if you vote for me, if you keep me in office, I will prevent the formation of a Palestinian state. A statement that he repeated in in recent weeks to the press, isn't it so great that I prevented the formation of a Palestinian state? Now, further, this further highlights the embarrassment that the United States has become on the world stage. And I, I don't say that with any glee. I don't say that as if it's something to be proud of. I'm embarrassed by it. I'm embarrassed that our government continues to fund their military operations, continues to provide the 2,000 pound bunker buster bombs that are terrorizing innocent civilians in the Gaza Strip. And I'm embarrassed that we have an incredibly weak, pathetic government that claims that they're urging Netanyahu to uh, rein things in a little bit, but uh, he refuses to do it, and we can continue to support him. Now, Israel's lack of self awareness was on full display during an exchange on CNN when an Israeli spokeswoman by the name of Tal Hendrick was challenged on the military operations and clear disregard for civilian lives. in years prior, it would be rare to see this kind of exchange on CNN, and I want to give you know the the anchors here a lot of credit, especially Kilar, who's going to push back against some of the claims made by the spokeswoman. Let's watch. This ideology is also very much
1: rooted in in the Palestinian society. You know, they're raising generation after generation to believe that there's no hope. And that there is so-called refugees of wars that they themselves started. Tall. Look at the uh, pictures the state coming of out of Israel Gaza. Tall. D- Tal, when and you until see those pictures coming
2: of- out of Gaza, do They're you see why? Do you see why some people don't have hope, looking at those pictures? Well, we are in the middle of a war that Israel
1: did not start and did not want. Well, the, it is prosecuting it, it tall. It is prosecuting
2: it forcefully, and you see the pictures here.
1: First, Hamas must be gone, and then we hope that the Palestinian society will de radicalize. And we can't have, you know, what our troops are finding right now on the ground in certain neighborhoods in Gaza pictures of children, women with guns, um, Hamas uniform tailored for children. And a Hamas terrorist that we have arrested just admitted on- Does, record that, make invest- children, Inves- does that make the that children, does that make the children justifiable enemies to you?
2: It does make them justifiable enemies to them. I mean, she, hated the pushback and denied the claims that Israel sees the children as justifiable targets for their military operations. But actions speak louder than words. I mean, what, what what do we call this when the IDF is bombing hospitals, making them inoperable? Okay, not a single hospital in the Gaza Strip right now has the functionality necessary to treat wounded patients. What, what exactly are we supposed to call this when they are intentionally and with zero remorse bombing refugee camps, knowing full well that those refugee camps have innocent civilians within it, simply claiming, oh, Hamas uses them as human shields isn't good enough to justify the airstrikes that they continue to do, the shelling that they continue to engage in. What exactly do we call it when a mother and daughter within a church are walking to a bathroom And they are shot and killed by Israeli snipers in the Gaza Strip. What exactly would we refer to that as? Were those two women, were the the mother and daughter, were they allegedly Hamas militants? What exactly do we call that? What exactly are we supposed to say? It is pathetic the number of people in this country and in the UK to be quite frank, who provide cover for what the IDF is currently doing in the Gaza Strip. And then they have the audacity to claim that, well, you know, all these Arab countries that are fired up about this, all these Arab countries who are concerned about Palestinian civilians, why don't they do the right thing and help Israel in their ethnic cleansing and take the refugees into their own countries? Why don't they absorb the refugees into their own countries? For any American making that claim, hey, the United States government. You know, loves to moan and groan about the treatment of Venezuelans in Venezuela. Why doesn't the United States government just absorb the Venezuelan refugees that we're so concerned about? Interesting, right? What's good for the goose is good for the gander. But I would venture to say that Arab countries, first of all, don't have that responsibility and don't want to engage in assisting Israel with the ethnic cleansing that they want to carry out. But they are making the Gaza Strip unlivable. When there's essentially no infrastructure left, no housing left, no hospitals left, no refugee camps left. When they're talking about pumping seawater into the tunnels, thus totally sacrificing what's left of the drinkable water in the Gaza Strip. How exactly is the Gaza Strip supposed to support human life? Could it be that we should maybe believe what The far right wing government officials in Israel keep saying over and over again to the press in their country about how they want to level the Gaza Strip. How they want to make it unlivable, how they want to use the Gaza Strip as a buffer zone to provide space between Israel and Palestinians. Maybe Maybe we should believe people when they tell us who they are. But no, we're going to go ahead and pretend like we don't see what we're seeing. We don't hear what we're hearing and we don't read what we're reading. Anyone who dares speak out against what Israel is carrying out is deemed anti-Semitic. We've heard it over and over again. In fact, the UN is the latest agency to be referred to as anti-Semitic and or an international organization of various countries. The only you know, two major countries that continue to support Israel at this moment are the United States and the UK. Every other major country on the world stage, wants a ceasefire, has voted for a ceasefire. But the US and the UK continues to provide cover for Israel. So for instance, last week, the UN Security Council called for speeding up humanitarian aid deliveries to Gaza following reports that at least a quarter of Gazans are starving and now dying under Israel's siege. By the way, what do you call that? When you intentionally starve an entire population of people. When you engage in the collective punishment of an entire population of people, what is that called exactly? Oh, Is this just war? Is that what this is, just war? This is just war, it's just collateral damage. Intentionally starving people to death, denying them water so they can stay alive. What is that called? Just curious. Israel continues to severely limit food, water, fuel, medicine and other supplies entering the region. The UN Security Council called that out. And so as a result, oh well the UN Security Council, the UN overall, they're not supporters of Israel, they're anti-Semitic, they're Jew haters, right? Israel said it would no longer grant automatic visas to UN employees and accused the world body of being complicit partners in Hamas's tactics. Government spokesman Elon Levy said Israel would consider visa requests case by case. That could further limit aid efforts in Gaza. Oh, I'm sure that's not intentional at all. And I'm also sure it's not intentional that they are not allowing journalists into the region so they can corroborate and verify some of the claims being made. I'm sure that's, that's all a mistake, that's all an accident. Palestinian bodies are now in some cases impossible to even identify and they're being thrown into mass graves. Here is one example.
0: Israeli authorities have handed over the bodies of approximately 80 people through the Karam Abu Salem crossing. These are people who were arrested and kidnapped in Gaza city and northern Gaza. So far we don't know their names or the total number. However, it is estimated there are 80 people. This truck just entered the Karam Abu Salem crossing southeast of Rafa. It is now headed towards the Abu Yusuf and Najar hospital and the bodies will be examined to identify the people if possible. As you can see, this truck is arriving now and it's carrying the bodies of those people. This is the first time bodies have been handed over to the Palestinian side through the official border crossing for identification and burial processes here in Gaza.
2: Now for anyone who feels that Al Jazeera is too biased to trust their reporting, same report by CBS News this morning, by CNN, by American media. That has actually been incredibly friendly to Israel, especially in previous wars with the Palestinians. But in this case, the evidence is mounting. The footage from the Gaza Strip is impossible to deny. And even the friendly corporate media news outlets have no choice but to be honest about what we are seeing on the ground in the Gaza Strip. And let's not forget about the fact that this is, in fact, now already. Dragging us into a broader war in the region. In fact, things became even more intense over the weekend. I want to get to the details about this expansion. So Israel launched airstrikes in Damascus, Syria. And here are some more details on why they did that and what this could lead to.
0: Iran vows that Israel will pay the price after the death of a major Iranian official in an airstrike in Syria. NPS Tayyip has more. The funeral of Sayed Razi Mousavi was led by the Syrian military, one of Iran's top advisors to its revolutionary guard. He was killed in an Israeli airstrike in a Damascus neighborhood on Monday. Tehran <laughs> vowed revenge for Mousavi's killing amid growing fears the Israel-Hamas war could engulf the region.
2: So they're carrying out airstrikes in Syria. They're taking out Military leaders from Iran in other countries in Syria in this case, that's leading to Iran saying that they will in fact retaliate. Gee, I wonder if this is going to expand into a broader war, if things are already unstable, and will be further destabilized in that region as a result of Israel's belligerence. And yes, I use that word clearly and accurately, belligerence. They do not care about the deaths of innocent civilians that is riling up people in the Arab world for good reason. How can anyone watch what's happening and feel that it's okay and justified? As a result, you have militant groups retaliating whether you're talking about the Houthi rebels or other Iran backed militias like Hezbollah. And the United States of course is going to get dragged into it. The United States has already been dragged into it. So my question to you is, Are we okay with sacrificing our brave men and women in the military to fight Israel's wars? I'm not okay with that. And I really think that we should take a moment to consider all the issues we have in our own country. All of the issues we have within our own military, where we abandon our own military veterans when they need health care, when they need mental health care. Does it really make sense for us to exert ourselves and our resources to fight Israel's battles and Israel's wars as their far right wing government continues with its belligerence. Really take a moment to ask yourself that. And as you do that, consider the fact that we already have soldiers who have been severely wounded as a result of engaging in Israel's war on Israel's behalf. I'll tell you how. So the United States has launched airstrikes against Iran backed militias in Iraq. You thought we were done with Iraq, right? We're not done with Iraq, it took Israel to drag us right back in, let's watch. Since the outbreak of the war, Iran-backed
1: groups in Syria, Iraq and Yemen have launched a slew of attacks on U.S. and allied forces. On Monday, militias conducted a drone attack on Erbil Air Base, wounding three U.S. service members, one critically. In response, Washington said it struck three sites used by pro-Iran groups.
0: While we do not seek to escalate conflict in the region, we are committed and fully prepared to take further necessary measures to protect our people and our facilities.
1: The Iran backed Kataeb Hezbollah makes up part of the Hashad al shabi a coalition of former paramilitary forces now integrated into Iraq's regular army. The Iraqi government hit back at the American strikes, saying this step harms bilateral relations between the two countries. And above all, it represents an unacceptable violation of Iraqi sovereignty.
2: What are we doing? What are we doing? Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin claiming that we are going to do whatever it takes to protect our people and our facilities is a complete joke. It's a joke. Because if he were serious about that, and if the United States government under the leadership of the very weak and pathetic Joe Biden were serious about that. Then they would stop assisting Israel in its belligerence. They would stop providing the weaponry and the funding for Israel to carry out their barbaric acts in the Gaza Strip. But they're not doing that, are they? Oh, Don't worry, Biden's wagging his finger. Hey, Netanyahu, please, please, please be a little better, please. Pathetic, embarrassing. We are a laughing stock on the international stage. Absolutely embarrassing. And to sacrifice members of our own military to do this. To destabilize the region on behalf of Israel. I think is incredibly shameful. Incredibly shameful, especially since we're doing it on behalf of the government. That is led by a man who propped up Hamas, who funded Hamas, who consistently brags about how he prevented the formation of a Palestinian state. Benjamin Netanyahu did all of that. And we are spending our resources and sacrificing our soldiers on behalf of that government. No thanks. We got to take a break. We'll be right back. (laughs) Welcome back to TYT. Joining us now is Jenk Uger who is running for president and challenging Joe Biden in the Democratic primary. Jenk, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you for having me, Anna.
2: So I wanted to have you on to give us some updates on how your primary campaign is going. There was a lot of drama with some states refusing to allow you on the ballots. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But there was also some good news in regard to states that will allow you on their primary ballots. So tell us about the states that have decided to do the right thing here.
0: Yeah, so much bad news, I forgot that there was good news. You're right. <laughs> Uh, Texas, Oklahoma, wow. Vermont, Minnesota, and they said it wasn't possible. Okay, okay so so
2: four states,
0: four states so far in counting, uh, and uh, and look seriously, uh, a lot of people thought, oh, you won't be able to get on a single state. You're not, you're not a natural born citizen. I know we're going to talk about our lawsuit in a minute, but uh, but they were wrong. Uh, they're wrong about the process. They're wrong about how you get on ballots, and they're wrong about the constitutional issue. Mm-hmm. People who are like amateur. You know, amateurs on online think that they know everything because of eighth grade. You just don't. This like who knows the Federal Election Commission decision on Hassan? Not that Hassan. Another Hassan, (laughs) right? That allows you to run. You don't know that. So why are you pretending you do? I feel like I want to say to all my critics, but yes, we're on in four states.
2: Well, look to be full to engage in full disclosure because I think it's important. I was. A little salty about your run in the beginning? No. I think it was pretty obvious to the audience even though I did my best to conceal it.
0: No, it was not not that good.
2: <laughs> I'm not good at concealing <laughs> the way I feel about things. No, no but not you your know, strength. I've since changed my mind because even though, you know, you winning the primaries obviously a long shot, I think that the legal battle that you want to engage in here on behalf of naturalized citizens is important and I'm curious to see where it goes. So talk to me a little bit about the lawsuit your campaign filed in South Carolina.
0: Yeah, so South Carolina takes $20,000 from each of the candidates. Mm -hmm. And then the state party decides who is a bona fide candidate and who is isn't. Okay, so now South Carolina was actually a little bit better than Florida and North Carolina, Tennessee and now Massachusetts that have all said, me, Marianne Williamson and Dean Phillips and everyone else on planet Earth are not qualified to run in the Democratic primaries. So four states have said, no, we don't care what our voters think. We don't want to know, we're not interested. It's going to be Joe Biden and we don't care how badly he's. but we don't care about anything. You're banned, You're none of you are allowed to run.
2: Okay, can I just interject real quick? So guys, understand how insane that is, okay? Because we're talking about Take Jenk out of it for a minute. If you, if you want to make the argument, well, he can't run, You know, he's a naturalized citizen. Okay, fine. But what argument are you going to make in regard to Dean Phillips and Marianne Williamson also being barred from the primary ballots in these states?
0: So look, I don't know if we'll have time to talk about my experience running because it's so interesting and I've got more comments about Marianne Williamson and Dean Phillips than I do about myself. Mm-hmm. Because the way that the press has treated them is revelatory. It shows you exactly what the press is about. But it also shows you what the Democratic Party is about. Mm-hmm. So Dean Phillips is a sitting US Congress, congressman. If he runs for his uh, reelection in his congressional district, the Democratic Party loves him and he's a beloved incumbent. And that's how he was treated his whole life, right? Mm-hmm. Or at least since he's been involved in politics. But the minute he runs for president, he's persona non grata. And you're not allowed to challenge Joe Biden. And you're not even allowed on the ballot as a sitting US congressman. That's insane. And then Marianne Williamson ran last time, was in the debates last time and has been polling higher than anyone outside of Trump, Biden and DeSantis. The entirety of the election and not allowed on the ballot. It's insane. In those four states. So four states have banned everybody. Four states have allowed everyone including myself, right? There's a lot of states left to decide. And then there are the states like South Carolina where only I've been banned. Mm-hmm. And so in South Carolina to answer your original question, they said we're not going to give you the $20,000 back. So I'm, we're ripping off little uh, old ladies who donated to your campaign. Uh, and we've made a constitutional decision that, that you're not qualified because what your constitutional law scholars? No, they're not. They don't know anything, right? But I get it. Okay, fine. You made that decision. No problem. That allows me to bring it to court and mm-hmm. challenge. And into your decision, which is exactly what we're doing. So, we're doing it on core constitutional grounds. So, I've talked to you before about the 14th Amendment. And there's, if you get into the details a little bit more, we're making a case that the 14th Amendment explicitly repealed the Natural Born Citizen Clause, Mm -hmm. because it is the only natural and born and naturalized, or only mentioned in the Constitution in those two places. Mm -hmm. Must be a natural born citizen, then the 14th Amendment says, no, born or naturalized, you have due process and equal rights, okay? So we think, and we make an excellent case for other court cases that show that amendments are explicitly repealed without saying oh by the way we are repealing that part of the amendment in fact the 14th amendment repeals the three fifths clause mm-hmm. that black people are three fifths and never mentions it so but it's still considered considered an explicit repeal of it and then we have a great case for an implicit repeal i don't want to get too deep into the weeds on the legal issues we have an excellent case for a first amendment issue not only for me but a South Carolina Democratic voter, who is a supporter of mine, has joined the case. Oh wow! And and now we are suing together. And he's saying, "How about my First Amendment rights? You're not letting me uh, vote. Uh, you're taking my voice. This is the person I want to vote for, and you're not letting me do it." I have rights.
2: And that's okay. important because in order to make this case, you need standing in South Carolina. And you yeah. have a, a voter who's making the case that you know he wants to support you and isn't given an opportunity in a country that's supposed to have a democratic process in place.
0: Right, and and of course I have standing because I'm a bona fide candidate running for office and they're not letting me, right? right? And so we both do. And then the last issue is the Civil Rights Act of 1964. That doesn't affect whether you could be president, but it affects whether you should be on the ballot or not. And it very very clearly says you cannot discriminate based on national origin. So now whether you can discriminate in terms of serving as president is a constitutional issue, the courts are going to settle. But even if we win that small part of the case on the Civil Rights Act, that means that any naturalized citizen can run. Okay, and guys last thing on this Anna, mm-hmm. when the better that I do, the better than any of these candidates sue. It makes the Supreme Court's job harder if they're going to say, no, we're going to discriminate because then they have to say we're not only discriminating against Jenk, but we're discriminating against all the people that want to vote for
2: him. And That's that. That is an interesting um, argument. You know, it's the other thing that I'm curious to see is is how the Supreme Court, if they do take this up, how they are going to decide the case because we're talking about Supreme Court justices, um, most of whom. Are conservative and believe in the literal interpretation of the Constitution, but just uh, interpreting it based on the plain language of the Constitution, and the plain language based on the way um, you know you're interpreting it is is the way that I would assume the Supreme Court would interpret it, right?
0: They, look, if I love that they have that principle of plain meaning of the law, mm-hmm. okay, because. There's no argument at all for the other side if you're looking at plain meaning. It says all persons born or naturalized have due process and equal protection. There's no ends or surplus about it. In fact, if you wanted to write a repeal of the natural born clause, mm-hmm. this is almost exactly how you would write it. And it's there's I'll make put it in layman's terms. If you put in an amendment in the Constitution that said you're not allowed to eat donuts, okay, and they meant oh we didn't mean that we meant you're not allowed to carry a switchblade. But, but you wrote, you're not allowed to eat donuts. plain yeah. meaning. You're not allowed to eat donuts. it's over, sorry. That's what the words mean, words have meaning, right? right? And in this case, it is super clear, it is super explicit. There's no question about it at all. Nationalized citizens have the same exact rights. And in fact, the Supreme Court has ruled that way, just not on the presidential case. So Honestly, I don't even understand. The, I, I know, I get it. There's lots of law professors who are like, "Well, no, that's you know, if equal doesn't really mean equal." And they're like, "Well, what about, for example, your age? You have to be 35. Does equal mean that?" But it didn't say anything about age. It said naturalized mm-hmm. equal. Again, you you almost couldn't write it any better if you were trying to repeal that section of the Constitution. And it doesn't matter because it's the absolute plain meaning of the language.
2: So let's move on to a poll that your campaign commissioned. The results, to be quite frank, were not that surprising to me given the polling, the average of polls that show how vulnerable President Joe Biden is, if he runs head to head with Donald Trump. So, tell us what the results were, what you asked, likely Democratic voters. And I also want to talk a little bit about an Associated Press NORC poll that asks likely voters how they feel about the primary process. But let's start with the poll that your campaign commissioned. We only
0: primers? asked three questions because we don't have a lot of money, okay, okay? all right. But we need to do a sample size that was significant and we need to do it with a polling organization that people would trust. So we went with YouGov, did 1,200 people, so that's what a normal presidential poll does. Mm-hmm. So We basically, but we only asked three questions. So one was me versus Biden head to head, and that's 83 to 17. So I get 17 points head to head with Biden. Now, but I'm honest, I'm not a normal politician, Like you don't get to go head to head. That's not really how it works, there's other people in the race. And when there's other people in the race, I don't do nearly as well as 17, okay? Now, but having said that, that shows you incredible weakness on Biden's part. I would have gotten zero against Obama, Mm -hmm. absolutely zero. Okay, and so I'm getting 17 points in a head to head matchup against Biden, okay, and that's with no mainstream media coverage, literally zero mainstream media coverage, okay? So now when you go to, and then we asked with everybody involved and the third question, the only one we had left, I decided we're going to ask, are you worried about the chance of Biden winning or are you worried about him losing to Trump, right? Mm -hmm. Basically, and 77% of people said, Democrats, not average person. Democrats and leaning Democrats said yes, concerned. And I'll break it down for you real quick. It's 27% said very worried, 25% said somewhat worried. Mm -hmm. And 23%, I'm sorry, another 25% said slightly worried. So giant numbers of Democratic voters going, we're really, really worried that this guy's not going to win. Who's this Jake Huger guy? 17 points, Wow, and 17 points for Cenk Uger, which they've never heard of in mainstream media. Well,
2: I mean, look, Biden believes that he is best suited, the best possible candidate to beat Donald Trump. So if he believes it, shouldn't we just go along with him?
0: Well, if you live in Washington or New York and you're a mainstream media figure or a regular politician, you go, of course, we bow our heads to the dear leader. Numbers and facts don't matter at all. Like I mean look guys he's at pulling a 34%, mm-hmm. right? That's no one has ever pulled out low and won no incumbent in the history of the United States of America in federal elections. If you want to bury your head in the sand, you can choose to do that, but it's so this guy's going to pull off the most miraculous comeback in American political history. Oh, if you believe that, okay, but you're nuts. 24 he's down to 24% with independence, Absolutely no chance of winning and we're We're flat out choosing to lose and to of all people Donald Trump. This is total insanity.
2: Explains the unearned confidence of the Biden campaign, because they see the polls. They're not blind to it, I'm gonna tell you- and, and they say the same thing over and over again, which in other contexts could be true. But in this context, given the lack of popularity for Biden, given the various polls that have come out one after another, showing how vulnerable he is to Donald Trump, it's hard to believe that they really think, well, there's a lifetime between now and the general election. And Biden's going to turn it around by the time we get to the general election. Do you really think they believe that? Or do you think the Democratic Party and the Biden campaign in particular is kind of hanging its hat on Trump's legal battles? Hoping that that will do him in and allow for Biden to clear an easy victory.
0: So when you say do they think that there's layers to it. So let me right. do it as quickly as I can. Joe Biden has, Lost touch with reality, but honestly, never really had much of a touch to begin with. So I'll tell you a story I've never said on air before. So a person that I know went to go work with Joe Biden back when he was a senator, and he was going to get he got an interview, and his Biden's chief of staff told him, "If you want the job, don't say anything during the interview." He said, "What do you mean, don't say anything? How would I get the job?" If I? He's like, "Just trust me." He goes in, comes back out, and he told me this is many years later that he tells me the story. Uh, He said, I said maybe two lines in a 45-minute interview. He spoke the rest of the time. Wow. Okay. And I said, did you get the job? He said, yeah, I did. Because Biden is an egomaniac. He's a narcissist of extreme degree. And so, but the mainstream media covers that up. Everyone who knows Biden knows he's a narcissist. And so you can't get in a word edgewise. I've I've met Joe Biden twice. I couldn't get in a word edgewise. Mm -hmm. He just, he loves the sound of his own voice. So if you tell him, Joe, you really can't do it. He's like, no way! I'm the greatest person, greatest politician that's ever lived. Of course, I can do it. Seems like I'm the thing. only one who could do it.
2: Let's let's relax for a second. It seems like a bit of an exaggeration, given like his, like Biden's <laughs> the guy who's like you know squints know. into the camera and is barely able to get a sen- sentence out. I, I like, hear
0: you. He probably wouldn't say it with the same in uh, you know style. Right. But having said that, the one place where he gets animated when it's about him. Mm-hmm. And then he gets super animated, plus he's 81 and they get, honestly people sometimes get stubborn when they are are 81. To right? be
2: fair, we've also seen in 2020, various instances of Biden getting challenged at various campaign events. And during those events, he would insult those challenging him. And I'm talking about Democratic voters, I mean, he called one Democratic voter fat. Yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. he gets really cranky if he touches pride, Right. okay? Uh, So now uh, the second layer is people who are his enablers. And so half of them know he's going to lose. And half of them don't. The ones that don't are like, "Oh no, no, we're going to make a comeback." And he's not that far down. And polls don't mean anything. They have all of these excuses. They go through them one by one by one to delude themselves. Mm-hmm. He's the only one who's ever beaten Trump. well, What does that mean? That doesn't mean anything. You know, the Steelers beat the the Cowboys back in the 1970s. That doesn't mean a goddamn thing. How are they doing today, right? But they get themselves to believe, and they always. And their number one problem that for them. Is they think, well, every election is 50-50 now. No, No, he's losing every single swing state. If this keeps going, he's gonna get beyond the swing states and lose other states. We're in landslide territory. He's down eight points to Trump and he's gotta win by five, down 13 overall, lunatics and and self-interested, easy to delude themselves. The other guys aren't deluding themselves, they just think, well, I'm the head of the DNC, or I'm a very important cabinet official for Trump, for Biden, or I'm an important ally of Biden, I'm his campaign co-chair, whatever it is. And they're like, if Biden loses, I'm irrelevant.
2: If Biden drops out of the race- I'm, I'm
0: irrelevant. Right. And, I, and some of them will literally lose their jobs. So they think, I don't give a damn that we're gonna lose. Of course we're gonna lose. Who cares? The Democrats lose all the time, Republicans lose all the time. The question is, am I gonna get to keep my job? And if we lose the general election, most of those people keep their jobs. But if, we lo- but if Biden loses the primary, none of them keep their jobs. So that's another factor. And then finally, the last layer is the, the Democratic voters who have been betrayed by mainstream media, who have told them polls don't matter, numbers are irrelevant, facts are BS, don't listen to facts, mm-hmm. just listen to the leader. And the leader will and, and oh my god, never trust the progressive, never trust an outsider, never trust anyone who isn't a very old politician, right? has not died in the wolves. So that's how they've deluded themselves in this way. Later they'll all pretend that they knew all along. I guarantee you could write it down in stone. And they'll say, like in the middle of the of the general election, mm-hmm. a panic will set in because he's only gonna go further down, right? And then they'll go, how did we? this mess, how come somebody didn't warn us? And then we'll like me, James Carville, Bill Maher, some people that I don't agree with. Uh, Axelrod, we're all through, Marianne Wilson, we'll throw up our hands and go, We told you, we told you a hundred times and you yelled at us. You sent John Fetterman to go uh, yell at us. Fetterman's now going around yelling at anyone who dares to challenge Biden. He went after right. James Carville today.
2: I know. We're going to talk about it on the show later. But um, I, I'm sure it's going to work out real well for Fetterman uh, by basically mocking the very people who helped him get elected in the first place. But let's move off of him. Uh, it's, I don't want to waste time talking about Fetterman in the context of this interview. I I do want to just say, though, that you know it's interesting because there seems to be this rejection of the polling. There seems to be a rejection of allowing a, a robust primary, a Democratic primary, to challenge Biden. But I, I don't know. Whether you entering the race has really made any difference for the Biden campaign. I mean, that was the other objective you had. One objective, of course, was to deal with the issue of naturalized citizens being barred from running. The other uh, objective was to persuade the Democratic establishment to allow for a robust primary. Has there been any positive movement on that?
0: The only thing that is, there's two things that are positive, right? Mm -hmm. Not about the primary system. That, that's the bureaucracy and the bureaucracy will not move if the leaders don't move, mm-hmm. okay? So the only two positive things is that I have been in communication with senior people in Biden's team. I'm not at liberty to say, I could say it right now, but I'd be betraying confidence and I don't want to do that and that's counterproductive, right? Correct, yeah. But, but I've been in touch with them, they are perfectly aware and have made the case to Biden that I am making. Okay. Okay. So that that's why I'm positive it's Biden who's being in transition. Wow. It's Biden himself who's like, no, I'm the greatest, and and I'm the only one who could beat Trump. That's why he said it the other day. That's why he reflexively said, I'm the only one who could beat Trump. Okay. And so that's so, crazy. But at least we got through to them. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's number one, and number two, look overall in the media now it's split. Now how you know a quarter of the media, a third of the media, including some mainstays like I like just said, Carville, Barr, Axelrod on MSNBC and CNN are saying, I'm not sure he's gonna win and I'm, I wish he'd step aside so we can get a stronger candidate. Like, Is it still possible to push that boulder a little bit more so it rolls down the hill? I think it is still possible, it's not gonna be possible after a while, after the elections start, right? Uh, but the first one is January 23rd. So we still have a little bit of time God. for me and those guys who I normally do not agree with. But that can actually read numbers and understand what math and facts are and science is, for us to win mm-hmm. and Biden to step down and then to have an emergency primary where everybody's allowed in.
2: Well, Jenk, unfortunately we're out of time. But I'd love to have you back on um, soon to give us some more updates. I also want to uh, tell the audience a little bit about the town hall that you're doing. You're going to be doing a weekly town hall called join in with Jenk," And you're inviting viewers to join in the town hall uh, later that day. Um, So there's a graphic showing you a little more information about it. Wednesday, December 27th at 8.30 PM Eastern time, 5.30 PM Pacific. Uh, Do you want to tell the audience a little more about this town hall?
0: Yeah, so, you look, you're going to go through the QR code, obviously, and you, or that uh, URL. But if you go to my website, jankforamerica.com, and you send an email, we'll send you an email on directions on how to get into that. It's including today at 5:30 uh, Pacific, 8:30 uh, Eastern. And what I'm going to do, what I started last time, and what I'm going to do with the town hall today is uh, get us to all act together. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole bunch of people that come to those town halls, and so I'm going to say, all right, now look, I'm now I poll. Uh, this way and that way in all these different uh, polls. So why aren't all the polls including me? Let's go ask online on Twitter, for example, Emerson polling. Why aren't you including Jang in the polls when he's polling higher than several governors tied with Chris Christie? So why are you discriminating against them? And so on that topic of discrimination, we don't have time here. I know you're out of time, but I'm going to talk about it more on the town hall and more next time with you because this is the, the discrimination against naturalized citizens. Is the one thing that's apparently totally okay? Mm-hmm. Like everybody's cool with it. Ha ha! You guys aren't fully Americans, and we like to rub your nose in it. And and it's and, and now it's really driving me crazy.
2: And also in this particular context, it's the Democratic Party that's sending that message 100%. loud and clear. And that's the party that has really leaned into their messaging on equality for their campaigning. And what leg do they have to stand on to make those arguments when they? Do believe in treating certain Americans, naturalized citizens, as second-class citizens? I think that's wrong.
0: And we know that for a fact now because the DNC is actively calling state Democratic parties and saying, "Discriminate! Do not let him on the ballot. He, he's a naturalized citizen, so he's he's no good. He's, he, he shouldn't have the same rights as us. Insane. Fourteenth Amendment be damned." So, jankforamerica.com to support us. Voice louder now. And, and we certainly need everybody to help to win on the civil rights issue as
2: we go to court in South Carolina. Thank you, Anna. All right, thank you, Jenk. And we'll have you on soon again to talk about more updates to your campaign. For now though, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to get into more of the updates out of the Gaza Strip. Some damning reports by CNN about the treatment of patients in Gaza's hospitals, and how the IDF has been caught desecrating bodies in these hospitals. So that and more coming up, don't miss it. Welcome back to the show everyone. Unfortunately, our next story is no lighter from the first story that I covered in regard to updates in Gaza. I'm going to just give you a warning ahead of time, this story is so Graphic, explicit, difficult to report on, difficult to hear. So if this is something that you might have trouble listening to, just want to give you that warning ahead of time. But with that said, there was a pretty damning report from CNN in regard to Israeli Defense Forces and their treatment of Palestinian patients in a specific hospital in the Gaza Strip. I want to share that report with you right now, so let's do it. The Israeli Defense Forces eight day military operation at the Kamal Adwan Hospital in Gaza last week included the desecration of Palestinian bodies according to senior medical staff and video evidence that was reviewed by CNN. Now CNN put out this report. I highly recommend everyone read all the details that were reported on in their piece. But I'm going to cover some of the important elements of it in this story. So as with other hospitals that have been bombed by the IDF in the Gaza Strip, other hospitals that have been shelled or see, you know, experiencing sieges by the IDF. Now Israel has justified their actions in this particular case by claiming that the hospital was used. I mean, it's so repetitive, I feel like you already know what I'm going to say as a command center by Hamas. Now they have provided very little evidence so far justifying this, proving that the hospital was used as a Hamas command center. But nonetheless, I want to give you the details about what CNN was able to review in the footage that was provided to them and what the medical professionals operating out of the hospital told CNN. Now Israeli soldiers raiding a hospital in Northern Gaza desecrated the bodies of dead patients with bulldozers let a military dog maul a man in a wheelchair, and shot multiple doctors even after vetting them for terror links. And that's according to allegations by staff and patients. Some of the patients that CNN spoke to were children who witnessed the IDF's dogs attacking a disabled patient in a wheelchair. Now I want to give you a timeline of the operation. The operation escalated on Monday, December 11th. The next day, Israeli forces demolished the hospital complex's western wall, according to the hospital's pediatric director, Hossam Abu Safia, who said soldiers addressed the hospital with loudspeakers instructing any men sheltering inside to come out. Now, according to Abu, Abu Safia, he and four other doctors were allowed to remain within the hospital to provide care for 62 people, including several infants. However, The situation within the hospital was so dire due to a lack of resources that they were unable to provide adequate care. According to Abu Safiya, they were surrounded by Israeli troops with parts of the complex badly damaged by shelling. There was no care that he could offer, he said. The hospital was out of food, out of water, out of electricity and milk for children and hardly had any medicine left to provide adequate care to the remaining patients. Now, one of the nurses, nurse Asma Tanish recalls begging for water to no avail, she said. Israeli troops were half a meter away from us and surrounding us in the courtyard. We had no water, our throats were dry and we were thirsty and begging them just for a glass of water from the morning till evening, she said. Some children died during the Israeli operation at the hospital, she said. Adding that nurses tried diluting milk with a salt solution to try to feed more of the hospital's youngest patients. Now, this should come as no surprise, this should not be shocking, considering Israel continues to severely limit the humanitarian aid going into the Gaza Strip. They're being denied food, they're being denied clean, and safe drinking water. They're being denied medicine necessary to stay alive. And this is all happening as hospitals are being bombarded, as they're being severely damaged through shelling by the IDF. And so if they're unable to treat wounded patients, what are they supposed to do? What are the wounded patients supposed to do? There have been reports of children whose limbs have been amputated, and reporters have shown images of severe infections of literal worms coming out of their wounds. This is barbarism. This is absolutely disgusting. But believe it or not, we haven't even gotten to the worst of this report. Among the most serious allegations is that as troops were leaving the hospital complex, they used bulldozers to dig up bodies that had been recently buried in a makeshift graveyard in the hospital's courtyard. So Abu Safia, the pediatric director that we heard from earlier, told CNN the following. The soldiers dug up the graves this morning and dragged the bodies with bulldozers, then crushed, crushed the bodies with the bulldozers. I have never seen such a thing before. Now, remember, there's a huge issue right now in the Gaza Strip when it comes to reporting, because journalists are not allowed to enter the Gaza Strip. They're not able to corroborate some of the claims being made. But CNN was able to corroborate the claims being made by looking at video evidence and they make that clear in their reporting. Videos and images he shared with CNN show decomposing human remains scattered across the hospital grounds, CNN reports. The allegation was supported by the hospital's head of nursing, Eid Sabah and another nurse Asma Tanish, who we heard from earlier. Satellite imagery taken on December 15th, right before the IDF withdrew from the hospital complex shows raised grounds outside the hospital complex. Further corroborating the claims made by the medical professionals in the facility. The IDF also didn't directly deny the claims. As CNN reports, the IDF did not address the allegations directly when approached for comment by CNN, but acknowledged that it had carried out an operation at the hospital. Quote, the troops apprehended 80 terrorists, some of whom took part in the atrocious October 7th massacre, it said in a statement to CNN. I would take that with a grain of salt. I wouldn't believe anything the IDF says just as I would not believe anything an IDF, I'm sorry a Hamas militant says in regard to what's happening on the ground in Gaza. Take it with a grain of salt, especially when you consider the disinformation that's come out from the IDF, the lies that they have told in regard to the aerial bombardments that they've done against hospitals. They claim that the Al Shifa hospital was being used as a Hamas command center, they provided No evidence of that, even the Washington Post came out with its own analysis. They investigated the claims made by the IDF and said, no, the IDF has provided inadequate evidence to show that Hamas was operating a command center out of the al-Shifa hospital, which would allow for the shelling and bombardment, and raid of that hospital. Now, doctors were also shot out at this particular hospital, as CNN reports, Dr. Ayman Rajab, was released by soldiers after questioning and then shot in the chest as he tried to make his way back to the hospital, Abu Safia told CNN. He survived the shooting and returned to his displaced family. Another doctor was shot in the leg, and Abu Safia's own son was shot in the abdomen, he said. He also alleges that he himself became a target after IDF soldiers called him in the early morning hours on Friday. Following the IDF's orders, he found a wounded elderly man lying on the ground in front of the building. But as Abu Safiya tried to approach the man, he says, the soldier started firing at him. So the IDF calls on him to come outside and provide aid to a man who is severely wounded just outside the hospital. And as he listens to orders and tries to retrieve the man and bring him into the hospital to receive whatever treatment they can offer. However inadequate as it might be, he claims that IDF soldiers start shooting at him. Quote, the IDF shot at me and laughed and jeered. I escaped their gunfire, but they called me again and asked me to take the wounded elderly man lying on the ground inside again, he said. He finally brought the man inside, but it was too late. The man could not be treated in the hospital due to lack of medical resources and later died from his injuries, Abu Safia said. Now, for me, the most barbaric allegations have to do with the IDF sicking their dogs on patients within the hospital. And these claims were corroborated by children who are patients within the hospital. So apparently in in another instance, Israeli military dogs wearing cameras were sent into the hospital for reconnaissance, and that's according to Abu Safiya. One of the dogs attacked and mauled a wheelchair bound elderly man before being called off. The man screamed in pain, children and women cried from the horror of the scene. I couldn't help anyone, the scene was beyond nightmares. One of their soldiers came to take the dog and was laughing at the old man and what the dog did to him. Someone please explain to me how doing this is going to keep Israel safe. Someone please explain to me how carrying out these atrocities is somehow going to assist Israel on the international stage. There is a good reason why. The international community, with the exception of the United States and the UK, are demanding a ceasefire. Absolutely demanding investigations into the atrocities committed by the IDF and the Israeli government. See, the United States, I don't know what the the issue is with the UK, okay? I don't know what persuades politicians in the UK to follow along with the United States. But I know what motivates politicians in the United States. I know it motivates pathetic, weak politicians like Senator John Fetterman in the United States. They're terrified of AIPAC. They're terrified of the Democratic majority for Israel. They're terrified of these lobbying groups who will target you and who will try to destroy your political career if you have the audacity to call on Israel to stop their atrocities in the Gaza Strip. That's, that's what's motivating this. The fact that the US is providing cover for what's happening is so incredibly shameful. Why is the UK going along with it? But anyway, let me get back to this. The claims about the wheelchair bound elderly man being attacked by an IDF dog were corroborated by children receiving treatment in the hospital, including one child who was receiving treatment for a broken leg. Imagine being a child. Okay, you're surrounded by death and destruction. And as you are in a hospital, a place that You're supposed to feel safe. You witness a military dog attack, a wheelchair bound elderly man, a vulnerable individual who is unable to defend himself. The Israelis let dogs come and attack us, they tortured us. They were shooting toward us. Nights were horrific. We never had sleep since we came here. They let dogs attack an old man, it kept biting him. By the way, the IDF, couldn't be bothered to address these claims, interesting. I mean, if these claims were being made against me and I didn't do it, I wouldn't hesitate to deny it, but that's not what's happening here. The IDF did not address those claims in its statements, but said its operation around the hospital was targeted on Hamas. Targeted on Hamas, sicking military dogs on elderly men in wheelchairs totally targeting Hamas. Yeah, we should we should totally take what they're saying at face value. You know, the same uh, military that shot and killed uh, Abu Akleh, an Al Jazeera journalist, using sniper fire and then denied it until multiple investigations proved that the IDF had done it. The same IDF who, you know, put out a fake recording of so-called Hamas militants that proved, you know, that uh, Hamas was Responsible for a rocket, a mislaunched rocket that hit a hospital in Gaza. Turned out that that was completely bunk, completely fake. I mean, I just. So let's get to the IDF's evidence of this hospital being used as a command center for Hamas, okay? So. Evidence of military activity or militant activity at the Kamal Adwan Hospital, according to the IDF, included numerous weapons. Numerous weapons, just like at Al Shifa, you got some AK-47s. I mean, the existence of AK-47s is not indicative of a command center, of like a headquarters for a militant group. But they say, look, we found AK-47s. We found RPGs, explosive devices, Hamas, commando, military equipment, technological equipment. We're supposed to take this at face value, by the way. They didn't provide evidence of that, they're just saying that's what they found. But as CNN makes clear, the presence of weaponry or wounded combatants at a hospital does not necessarily make it a legal military target. Now, there are international laws. Uh, Israel with the help of the United States government has done a great job in dismantling the credibility of those laws. So let's just be clear about that. Now I hear international law and I can't help but laugh at that. Because clearly international laws don't matter at all. When you have the world's largest military power, the United States providing cover for Israel as it breaks international laws. Okay, so I just want to make that clear. But as CNN notes, Article 19 of the Geneva Convention states that, The fact that sick or wounded members of the armed forces are nursed in these hospitals or the presence of small arms and ammunition taken from such combatants, which have not yet been handed to the proper service, shall not be considered to be acts harmful to the enemy. So in other words, if we were even to take the IDF at face value when they say that they found these weapons, that still is not enough to justify attacking a hospital. Hospitals are supposed to be safe places for civilians. The bar is much higher if you want to attack a hospital. But as we know, every single hospital in the Gaza Strip has been attacked by the IDF. None of them are functioning properly. None of them have the resources to provide adequate care to wounded Palestinian civilians. I'm sure that's all an accident. I'm sure none of that was done on purpose. I'm sure severely limiting humanitarian aid, meaning water and food necessary for human survival is all an accident. It's all an accident, right? Okay. And the guns that they also you know, shared some images of, of people holding weapons. I, I want to address that as well. So the IDF last week also released photos and video showing young men holding guns in the air, militants handing in weapons after their surrender from Kamal Adwan Hospital, it alleged. But the staffers interviewed by CNN said the men were actually civilians sheltering in the hospital after being displaced from other parts of Gaza. We told them there weren't any resistance fighters in the hospital and no one listened to us, Tanish, the nurse said. The guns that they were pictured with had actually belonged to security guards who had been guarding the hospital, and that's according to Abu Safia. And here's what he had to say, I saw with my own eyes that the army asked the displaced civilian youth and the medical team to carry the weapons of the security guards that were left in the hospital guard room. And they took pictures of them in front of me, and then they dispersed that as evidence to justify attacking the hospital. That's what's being alleged here. Now, if you don't want to believe the actual doctors operating out of the hospital and you want to believe the IDF instead, the same IDF that has carried out atrocities that have been proven in the Gaza Strip, I guess that's your decision to make. But again, Every single hospital in the Gaza Strip has been targeted and attacked by the IDF. And they make the same claims every single time they target a hospital, every single time. oh, It's a Hamas command center, Hamas uses civilians as human shields. I mean, again, I've made this analogy before. But if family members belonging to an IDF soldier, were taken at gunpoint, and were used as human shields by Hamas, would they be willing to shoot through their loved ones to take out the Hamas militant? I mean, they've been clear about how little they care about the Israeli hostages that remain in the Gaza Strip, who knows how many of them are alive at this point. But if it came down to their own family members, if Hamas was using their own family members as human shields, would they be willing to shoot through their own family members to take out Hamas and then say, there was nothing I could do, Hamas was using my family member as a human shield. Something tells me they would think twice about that. Something tells me that they would treat that situation a little differently. Something tells me that the disregard for human lives in the Gaza Strip is evident to everyone in the international community, with the exception of the governments in the United States and the UK. That's the reality of the situation. This is barbaric behavior at a time when the prime minister of Israel keeps framing this war as a war between civilization and barbarism. Who's carrying out the barbarism? It looks like the IDF to me. We gotta take a break. John Iadarola will be joining me for the second hour. Don't miss it.